Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. Scripture tells us those who sow in tears will reap in joy. Jesus led the way. His great exchange to open the door for souls to enter the kingdom of God. Listen as Doug shares how you can exchange tears for joy and receive renewed strength to be who God has called you to be. Although this was recorded on Palm Sunday, we believe the message is relevant every day. If we can pray for you as you seek God's will, email your request to prayer at somebodycares.org. We would be honored to lift you up in prayer. After the episode, check out our show notes at awardandseasonpodcast.org or on your streaming service. If you have gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. Thank you, King of Kings. Thank you, King of Kings. Thank you, King of Kings. Lord, as we are reminded, not just this week every year, Palm Sunday going into Holy Week and the Passion of the Christ and Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, but Lord, every day we're reminded of the King of Kings the king of all kings, the priest of all priests, and ultimately the sacrifice of all sacrifices by which we have life and life more abundantly. In Jesus' name, amen. It is a privilege to freely be able to gather in the name of the Lord. Amen. I just want to give a preface before I go into sharing some of the mindset that Jesus had prior to Palm Sunday and going into the Passion Week and, of course, ultimately the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. I want to talk in, out of Luke chapter 9, verse 51, but before we go there, I want to just share something I feel like is significant. Lisa and I were part of a gathering in the heart of Texas, which is Brady, Texas. A gathering of leaders across America uh, last year gathered together in the center of the United States in a field to seek God for revival and for the church. And out of that came a desire to do the same thing in 50 different states. As it turned out, Texas, as a forerunner state, is the first of all 50. And the significance, of course, of April 9th is threefold, is because the Azusa Street Revival began on April the 9th. It was also on April the 9th that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was martyred, was killed in 1945. It was also prior to the Azusa Street Revival in 1906, April 9th, was April 9th, 41 years before that, that civil war ceasefire began on April the 9th, 1865. A month later, of course, the civil war was completely over. So there's something significant about that day as we gathered. We didn't try to pick that day, just it turned out to be the day that we could gather in a large park. We had 254 counties, all 254 were represented, and each county brought soil from their counties, and we mixed the soil together. And then we had soil brought in from 50 different states to mix with all the 254 counties of Texas. And then we had multiple nations bring sand or bring soil, and we mixed it, and including Israel and Germany. And as they mixed it all together, towards the end of the day, the psalm assembly and crying out to God for revival, worshiping God, we mixed it together, and each of us took portions of that mixture. When I think about true intercession, as we saw in Psalm 126, verse 5, that those who sow in tears, 
That's the seeds, our tears, our seed, as we sow in tears for revival. And those tears will become a reaping of harvest and a reaping of joy, a harvest of joy. And when you gather all of these together, the the corporate gathering of all these places where people crying out to God, we're in the heart of Texas because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. There's something about as we gathered together, I felt a strong inclination over the last few months as I was sharing with the leadership of the, the praying in the heart of Texas that I felt like it was important for us as we gathered there that we have a new voice, have a new heart. As the church gathered together out of the abundance of our heart because of Christ, we would change and see the heart and the soul of a state and the nation impacted because everyone senses. And for years, as all these words that have been spoken about Texas being the one that paves the way for the rest of the nation and touches nations of the world. But even more so, when Lisa and I took soil from Lake Houston because that's the water source for much of the region. And we felt like there's something about the place of the water source that brings life. I want to share briefly on the importance of seed, soil, and souls. When I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wrote something in his book, The Cost of Discipleship. I've always quoted one piece of that, but I want to read a portion of this because he was martyred before the ending of World War II just by a couple of weeks. And he could have stayed here in the United States. He could have done the university tour, raised money against the atrocities of Nazi Germany, he being a Lutheran minister from Germany. He could have done that, but instead he chose to go be amongst the people and from that very place called out the atrocities of Nazi Germany and of Hitler. He wrote the book, The Cost of Discipleship, and what he said was, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again and again. The gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. He's not watering this down. It's not just some sort of lesser of Christianity. The only thing that brings Christianity to life is Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. You are bought at a price, and... What has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. He goes on to talk about cheap grace. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. He said that he did not see it as too dear a price to pay for our life by offering his own son for us. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, a scripture that is etched in my brain forever, because many years ago I began to read through chapter 9, and of course I read verse 23, the true cost of discipleship, which of course Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived out in his own life. But in verse 23 of chapter 9, it says, Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now interestingly, David Wilkerson taught me that God's not asking us to take up Jesus' cross. He's saying, take up your cross. Jesus already went to the cross. He's crucified 
once and for all for us. He's already been crucified. We take up our cross as we follow his example of dying to self. A.W. Tozier says that self is the opaque veil that hides the face of God from us. If we want the presence of God, if we want revival and the tears that we've been weeping for revival, for change in our homes, in our families, in our communities, in our, in our generation, then it's about taking up that place of re the revelation of the cross in our own lives, what Christ has done and empowered us to walk in the authority that he's given us. So he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his own life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. I think of David Livingston, and uh, I love to quote him often because he was the great missionary to Southern Africa, had a, a great heart for the people of Africa. And uh, he used to say, why is it when an earthly king commissions us, we consider it an honor? But when the heavenly king commissions us, we call it a sacrifice. Is it too great of sacrifice for us to say it's not a sacrifice, but it's a privilege, God, to serve you? For what you have done, the high cost of love displayed on the brutality of the cross the horrendous brutality of what the cross represented. And Jesus took it all for us that we might live and have life more abundantly. Is it too much to say it's not a sacrifice to serve the Lord and follow his example? And then verse 25 says, For what advantage is it for man if he gains the whole world and yet himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and his fathers, and of the holy angels. And then fast forward to verse 51. This is the mindset. The Lord is already committed. And in verse 51, it says that when it was time to be taken up, taken up where? He knew it was time to go to the brutality of the cross, the scorn, the shame, the suffering, the mockery, the rejection, even of those who said they loved him. You know, we see what David says. He goes, I could have handled it, if it had been an enemy that betrayed me, but it was a, a family friend, Ahithophel. And yet, if he felt that pain from a close confidant or someone he trusted who turned on him, how much more the Lord himself who took on the sins, the shame, the rejection of all at one moment in time. And so in verse 51, it says, Now it came to pass when the time had come for Jesus to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And when I think about that, already knowing he's in preparation for study, when they're bringing out the branches, Hosanna, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord, is, he's going down on that never-ridden colt of a, of a donkey, and he's, he's being led by Mama Donkey, and, and he's going down, and people are just incredibly excited and celebrating this great moment to be celebrated. Hosanna, Hosanna, he who comes in the name of the Lord, and yet just days later... People are ashamed of him. People are rejecting him. People are mocking him. They're afraid to stand with him. It's one thing to give our words of adoration. It's another thing to live our lives in a celebration of adoration every day to the one who is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, who paid a price that we could not pay, but he paid it for us. He was steadfast. He was determined I like what Joy Dawson once, she said that word means to be so consumed and determined to get there because he knew that beyond the sufferings and the shame and the pain of the cross, Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, that we fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the hope set before us, the author and finisher of our faith, who is the hope set before us. We fix our eyes on him because he first was able to overcome the brutality, the shame, and the rejection, 
and the horrendous pain that would take place on the cross. He himself looked beyond the sufferings to see the hope beyond. One to glorify the Father and the other is to see us today. Those who call upon the name of the Lord. His joy, his driving force, steadfastly set to go to Jerusalem was that he saw our potential when we would call upon the name of the Lord and we receive into our lives this greatest salvation, so great a salvation. What drove him was not the circumstance. What drove him was what the results would be. What he sowed in tears, he reaped in a harvest of souls. Amen. Seed for the soil of souls. We see in John chapter 12 and verse 23, go with me there. It says in John 12, 23, but Jesus answered them, saying, The hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servants will be also. If anyone serves me, him my Father will honor. He goes on to say that his soul is troubled. And we are living in some very troubling times and we're feeling the heart of God. And yet, the gospel message has never changed. For 2,000 years, it's never changed. There's been a great exchange. That great exchange is that the Lord himself took our filthy rags and exchanged them for robes of righteousness. I like it in Matthew 8 where it speaks of the lepers uh, that was healed. Jesus healed a leper and, and says, but no, don't go say anything. Don't tell anybody yet. I used to wonder, why would you do that? I mean, if I got, you know, I got healed, we've all had miracles in our lives. We, we don't want to just hold on. We want to shout it from the rooftop. But why was he saying to that leper, don't say anything yet? First do, according to what Moses' law is, or the Levitical law, and go and seek the priests first. What was he saying? Because to fulfill every dot and tittle, that he was not going to break the law, he did not come to destroy the law, but to become the fulfillment of the law, to give us liberty. So that, like it says in Galatians 5.1, stand fast therefore in the liberty where Christ has set us free and be no longer entangled the yokes of bondage. That's what this is talking about. The law is talking about the things that have kept us held by the flesh that God wants to release us from, that we can walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God, that we can walk in the glory of God, the power of God, the authority of God, the commission of God, the anointing that breaks the yokes of bondage. But that has to come from that place of understanding, total surrender, to Christ himself, the author and finisher of our faith. He says, don't go say anything yet. Why? Because he had not gone to the cross yet. In the natural, he had to fulfill every portion of the law. Because he could not come to destroy it, but he came to be the fulfillment of it. So he was telling this leper, do according to the law. You've been healed of leprosy, now go to the priest and go through all the ritual. And you can read this on your own, Leviticus 14. What a beautiful depiction and a portrait of a series of events that takes place. What, what he's talking about in Matthew 8 is really referring to Leviticus 14. And when you see Leviticus 14, it's talking about all these things that they're to do. And it's a beautiful portrait or picture of the exchange that God has given to us through his son Jesus. And in that, it says one of the portions of this great series of things that has to take place when the law of the leper, when the leper has been cleansed, is that they would take uh, two empty vessels... And they would have running water. 
And they would take a, uh, two birds. One bird they would kill over running water. And they would take another bird, sprinkle the blood of the dead bird that was sacrificed, and sprinkle the blood of the dead bird onto the living bird and let the living bird go. And what a beautiful picture of 2,000 years ago that Jesus was God himself manifest in an earthen vessel. The river of living water, the well that never runs dry, the water source of life himself killed and his blood shed for us. And when we think about that, each of us have been cleansed of the leprosy of sin. We've been cleansed from the things of this world. We've been cleansed, no longer living unto ourselves because we've been bought with the price. And that price was the blood of Jesus. That we are the free birds that, that should have died, but yet Jesus gave his own life. He was determined steadfast to get to Jerusalem so he couldn't wait to go through the brutality and the, and the, the shame, the rejection, the high cost of love on the cross so that his blood would be shed and that those of us who called upon the name of the Lord would be under that blood. His blood was shed for us. And though we deserved our death, we were set free as, a, as those who are healed of our spiritual leprosy, of our sin, the things of the past, the flesh. We are now new creatures in Christ. We're no longer who we used to be. We no longer belong to ourselves. We're temples of the Holy Spirit purchased by the blood of Jesus. So the one bird killed over running water in an earthen vessel, that blood sprinkled on the other bird and set free. We've been set free. We've been liberated from our flesh and from the shame of sin. We can't change who we were, but the decisions we make today in the Lord and, and the example of letting his light shine us. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, in his own words, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Do we sit, get saved by good works? No, but because of what Christ has done, we are excited to serve him. Let your light so shine. That's because it's no longer your light, it's his light in us. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. They would see the gospel living alive in you and manifested in all that you do say and think, that you would glorify God in all that you do say and think. Amen. That we would walk with the right spirit, a clean heart, a sharp, stable, sound mind. When they see that in action, no matter how much their intellect, no matter how much their doubting hearts, no matter what's going on in their mind, they can argue until they're blue in the face, but the reality is they can't change the truth, and the truth can set them free when they see the truth living in us. Oh, what a glorious, glorious, great act of love that Jesus gave to us. Steadfastly set to get there, to go through this. To exchange himself, his own divinity, to who he is, that he suffered as a man. Can you imagine the creator of the heavens of the heavens that's not even worthy of him? Can you imagine the one that says in Colossians 1 that all things were made to, through, for, and by him, that all dominions, principalities, rulerships, and kingdoms are subject to him in the seen and unseen realm, and he is the preeminent one, of the one of authority, of all authority, and yet he himself said yes to the Father. He came, and he was killed as a living water over in, in an earthen vessel so that we might be sprinkled with the blood of Christ and be set free. Wow. 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. That's why you're not just my Savior. You are my Lord. I remember when I first got radically touched by God a little over 40 years ago. My excuse was, well, he's my Savior, but he's not really the Lord of my life. I mean, you know, I'm I'm a work in progress. You know, we always have these excuses, right? And we make up scriptures that aren't even there. The Lord had to speak to my heart and said, said, well, you you can't call me Lord now if you're not willing to live for me. Of course, I made all my list of excuses why, well, I'm only human, and, you know, like, you can't expect me to live like you. I'm not perfect like you, Jesus. And finally, in the, the depth of my spirit, I heard the Lord say to me, but even the demons know who I am. What makes you any different? If I'm not your Lord, how can I be your Savior? This is a time of renewal in our own hearts as we join together A culmination moment, I believe, of every tear ever wept, every prayer ever prayed, all the the times of the hidden place on your knees. This is a culmination moment when the world is a mess. There's so much evil and wickedness in the world. And the only hope for the world is not all of our good ideas. Ideas are good and planning is good, but we've got to get to that place of the presence of the living God. The one who exchanged it all poured out his blood for us that we might be that free bird set free. And as a church, that we would take that on in the cost of discipleship, that we too would take up our cross, not his, take up our cross and follow him daily because it's not a sacrifice to serve the one who is the greatest of all sacrifices. The sacrifice of sacrifices. The priest of all priests. The king of all kings. Wow. Whenever I see the Nativity movie, I think of that. The three things that were brought as gifts by the Magi to Jesus as a baby was all preparation for the burial of royalty. And yet that represented gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold for a king of all kings. Frankincense for the priest of all priests and myrrh, burial items for the sacrifice of all sacrifices. Father, I thank you for the privilege of calling you Jesus, Lord, as Lord of my life. I thank you that we are nothing without you, Lord. We think of all the great things you have done, but Lord, we're in a moment that we believe is a culmination moment for you to do something greater than we've ever imagined. God, in the midst of a world that's on fire, in the midst of a world that is going through such moral decay, God, would you do a work in us as we join together in our tears, our prayers, our, those things that we've placed on the altar in our hidden place and public place. Just like all these counties and all these states and all these nations joining together with soil representing good soil, that has been fertilized with tears and prayers and intercession. As we join our hearts with those all over the state and all over the nation and all over the world, God, regardless of what the news shows, we believe the report of the Lord. We believe this is our moment. We believe this is a revival time. This is a time for the awakening of our hearts, a renewed strength and youthfulness in our spirit. God, that you would give us what we need to be who you've called us to be and that you be glorified in all that we do, say, and think. 
And finally, I want to close in one scripture. I was also thinking about Dietrich Bonhoeffer in that really you think about Philippians chapter 1 when it says to live as Christ to die as gain. And that really was some of the final words that Dietrich Bonhoeffer gave before he was martyred. His quote was from his words, but it was coming from that scripture. I think of a friend of mine who I first met in 1990. When I first went to Vietnam, there was two little girls that were just like in awe of some of us that were Americans that were there. And their dad had been in and out of prison at over 20-something thousand members. And he was able to get, as they got older, was able to get them out of the country, but he couldn't leave. And, uh, and they went to Dallas. One went to CFNI. One ended up at Dallas Baptist University. So I kept in contact with them. And one day when the one from Dallas Baptist University was graduating, in my office here in Houston shows up that pastor from Vietnam and his wife. He had walked out of Vietnam, even though he's, he's supposed to be in house arrest at the time, left Vietnam, went into Thailand, took a flight to Dallas to go see his daughter who was going to graduate at Dallas Baptist University. Sitting in my office in Houston, I said, well, your, family, your daughters are here, you and your wife are here, so where are you going to stay? You can stay here. He goes, I considered staying, but if I don't go back, then the church will not be encouraged and will not grow. But just like Paul, to live as Christ, to die is gain. So I must go back. I was confused at first thinking, but why? And then I remember Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He could have stayed, but he chose rather to suffer with the people. And it encouraged the church that now continues to grow. He did go back. He did get arrested. Thank God he's not in prison right now. But sometimes it takes heroes of the faith that will stay in the moment. Because there are moments that are defined, defining moments and people in your life that become landmarks. If you begin to reflect on your own life, what were some of those defining moments? One is the revelation of the work of the cross. But then from there is every privilege and opportunity to step into a moment like we're living in now. To see hope in the midst of despair. To see God's light shine in us in such a way that other people see Christ. They don't see our flesh. and We have too much uh, celebration of celebrity. We're enamored with celebrity, even in the church. But when we begin to show respect and honor one to another, like it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 through 25 in closing, since you, us, have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever, because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and its flowers fall away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. This is the word that the gospel has been preached to you. We have a responsibility not to walk as the world walks, not to despair as the world despairs, but we have a joy unspeakable. We have a peace beyond human comprehension. And we have a strength that comes from that joy. And we have this calling of God to be able to go forth with authority, confidence in Christ to change the world around us. This is our moment. It's time for revival. 
Father, your word says in Psalm 126.5, those who sow in tears shall reap a harvest of joy. Lord, because of even this day, Palm Sunday, as we think about what you have done, Jesus, for us and the preparation of going to the cross, that Hebrews reminds us that there was a joy beyond that cross. There was a joy set before you that because of that, we have a joy that's unspeakable because we have a hope that the world cannot give or take away. Our hope is in the hope of glory, Christ Jesus in us. God, would you come? But we need the manifestation of the glory and the presence and the truth and the light of Christ upon the world today. God, the world is a mess, but we know you are still the keeper of our souls. You are still the Savior, the healer, and the deliverer of our lives, God. God, would you come in the midst of tragedy, in the midst of pain, and revive us, God. Revive us, God, and awaken the church for revival in the land in Jesus' name. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.